0: Asheville Rooftop Bar Tours. You'll be at the top of the city as you experience Asheville's history and scenic beauty, historic landmarks, and award-winning rooftop bars. Transportation is provided with tours offered daily, year-round. Find out more at AshevilleRooftopBarTours.com. By romanticashville.com. Create your perfect vacation in the land of the sky with the region's most popular online travel guide. Plan your next getaway to Asheville and the North Carolina Blue Ridge Mountains by visiting romanticashville.com. Welcome to Speaking of Travel with Marilyn Ball. Sit back and be carried away to places around the world and right here in our own backyard. No passport required. Hi, this is Marilyn
1: Ball. Welcome to Speaking of Travel right here on iHeartRadio 570 WWNC. And remember, you can always listen to this episode of Speaking of Travel or any past episode with a simple click on the Speaking of Travel website, that's speakingoftravel.net, and on pretty much all podcast platforms, including the iHeartRadio app, Buzzsprout, Pandora, Amazon, and be sure when you visit speakingoftravel.net to sign up for the Travel Club. You'll receive travel news, helpful tips, and stories from people who have a passion for travel and storytelling. And believe it or not, although all the stories shared on Speaking of Travel are captivating and inspiring, sometimes it's the shortest stories that hook us in. They keep it simple, but really impact our emotions. Well, I've been following a new style of writing that is gaining popularity really fast. It's called flash fiction. You might remember one of the classic flash fiction stories is the one Hemingway wrote, supposedly from a $10 bet he made at a lunch with some other writers, that he could write a novel in six words his story for sale baby shoes never used and writing that famous story on a napkin he passed it around the table and collected his winnings well that's the popular folklore anyway my guest today is nancy stolman and she's been writing publishing and teaching flash fiction for more than a decade and she teaches at the university of colorado and boulder and all around the world. And Nancy, it is such a pleasure to have you on Speaking of Travel. It's
2: such a pleasure to be here, Marilyn. Thank you so much.
1: Well, Nancy, give us a little bit of an idea of how you began this style of writing and, and how that connects to, uh, to your travels, because you've really been traveling all around the world
2: since you were a child. Yeah, it's true, actually. And it's so interesting in this podcast to bring those two things together because I haven't really deliberately thought about how one informs the other. So um, I'll talk my way through it here. When I started writing, I started writing long form. I've been reading novels since I was a little girl and uh, loved novels and just assumed that if you were going to be a writer, you were either going to be a poet or a novelist. And so I started writing novels, and I wrote a lot of novels that um, are buried deep in drawers that I hope nobody is ever subjected to. And it was probably on my fourth novel that I discovered flash fiction. I was in grad school. I took a class on flash fiction. It sounded interesting. And this was like 2007, so this is quite a while ago. And it just blew my mind. It made me realize that the problem I'd been having with the novels I'd been writing was that I was forcing myself to say more than I really wanted to say about the story in order to hit some sort of industry standard. You know, if it's a novel, it has to be 60,000 words or 80,000 words, whatever the publisher or the bookstore has decided is sellable, decided what makes a novel. And what I realized in the discovery of flash fiction was that, wait a minute, the story has its own agenda. And as a writer, we have to be willing to listen to the agenda of the story, not the agenda of the bookstore, if we really want to tell the story that wants to be told. So I just scratched everything that I'd been doing, and I started listening to my stories and letting them tell me when to stop and I think that's so important for writers to know when to stop because we keep going and we keep going. And, uh, and and a lot of times what we're really doing is having fun with our words, having fun with our sentences, but it's not really serving the story. So learning that difference between, uh, you know, what do I enjoy writing and what does my story actually need from me has been a really important distinction that's come out of flash fiction directly. In terms of the travel and how does that work, it's it's so interesting for me to contemplate that. Uh, I was, I grew up as a military kid. My dad was in the military. I lived overseas. I grew up in Germany and Spain. Um, And so there was a a real lack of television, certainly, uh, at least English television. And so I became a reader at a young age. And I think everybody who's a writer was probably a reader at a young age. But I think that in my travels around the world at a young age, knowing that I was often in the language minority, if not the cultural minority, that I had these friends with me all the time. And these books became friends. And I still think of books as friends. And I think that's a direct result of being uncomfortable in the best possible way that travel allows us to be.
1: And you've really been able to incorporate that, the illustrations, the images of all of that seem to come out in these stories that you write that are part of your collection now.
2: I think it's true for every writer that we draw on, you know, the imagery of our lives. And, um, but I remember, I don't know if I heard it or read it, but I remember at some point early in my career, coming across this idea that if you want to be a good writer, lead an interesting life and I really took that to heart uh because I just I I, you know who knows what's going to happen after this life and so if we're here just once like can we make it as rich and juicy and fulfilling as possible which then translates obviously to a lot of things to say a lot of uh things to write about stories to tell experiences to have and also this idea of staying really humble, I think, in the world where you are not, where you know that you don't know everything and that that curiosity that uh, compels you to continually ask questions, stay curious, write about what's interesting. Uh, I think it's, I'm, because I'm a person who has traveled a lot and has a lot of adventures, I consider myself an adventurous person. It's the only way that I know to write, but I can't imagine a person trying to write for their whole lives without ever leaving their backyard. It just seems like it would be so difficult. So for me, traveling and seeing the world and being adventurous and leading an interesting life is absolutely tied to everything I create as an artist.
1: And really taking all of that and having this uh, larger than life almost worldview and then putting it into what i'd like to talk a little bit more about this flash fiction you would think oh well you're only writing a short story that can't be too difficult but in fact
2: <laughs> it really is very difficult right absolutely absolutely and i love that you bring that up it makes me want to tell a little story of course i teach at the university of colorado and so um i'll get students coming to me and they will, I'm thinking of a particular student, and she was writing a scholarship essay, and the idea was they gave the applicants a a couple of choices. They could write a traditional length scholarship essay of a thousand words or so, or they could write a 200-word essay, and so she said, well, I picked the 200-word essay, of course, because it seems so much easier, and oh my goodness, what have I gotten myself into, and I think that 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 mythology, which is something that I address in my book, my new book, Going Short, um, that's the number one mythology that I want to knock off the table. Is that it? Because it's small, it must be easy. Anybody that the easy is clearly never tried to write poetry, because poetry is small and immensely complex. And flash fiction for me is really at that juxtaposition between the tight, compressed complexity of poetry with the narrative story arc intention of a novel or short story. So we're really kind of uh, living, it's like the love child of poetry and the novel. And so we're really living in that space where you're telling a story, but you're doing it in this like extremely distilled way. So it's not a rushed story. It's not a quick story. It's a story that's been carefully crafted and thought and rethought to boil down to its very essence. And then when we get that very essence, it's 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 almost like a, a reduction sauce, you know, like when we taste that reduction sauce, it's full of everything that was in there, but now in miniature.
1: Well, that is always my favorite. That always seems to be the tastiest and the juiciest when you get right mm-hmm. down to it. Well, Nancy, when we come back from the break, I, wanna, I, I would like to talk more about the, uh, the art of the writing as well as your retreats and your teaching and how people can get more information. What is your website so people can be looking it up while we're talking?
2: absolutely it's my name so www.nancystolman spelled dot .com and there'll be links on there for retreats workshops and uh, books all sorts of things I'll well we again. want it we want to hear all more right. about
1: that this is marilyn ball you're listening to speaking of travel we'll be right back hi this is Kay at Asheville rooftop bar tours we put you in the middle of experiencing Asheville like no one else can with an expert guide by your side you'll have an all-access pass to what makes Asheville so unique our sense of place history and awe along with great food and drinks and spectacular views we follow safety protocols on every tour come experience why TripAdvisor awarded our company the 2020 Traveler's Choice Award placing us in the top 10% of attractions worldwide. To learn more about us and our award-winning tours, visit AshevilleRooftopBarTours.com.
3: Fly me to the moon, let me play among the stars. and Let me see what spring is like on Jupiter and Mars. In other words, welcome
1: back to Speaking of Travel. I'm your host Marilyn Ball, and I'm here today with Nancy Stolman, and we're talking about uh, world travel, uh, inspiration, flash fiction. Nancy, I am just intrigued with with your path, your journey throughout your uh, your life from childhood, being able to travel so much. You were a military brat. was that the the impetus there for your traveling as a
2: child? Probably, yes, as a child, um, uh, my dad was in the military, so we were all over. um I moved to Germany when I was about five, and so most of my early childhood was happening in uh, cultures in which I was the minority, and that was such a wonderful experience for me and a wonderful way to kind of set me up for. Uh, the rest of my life, remembering that there are so many different ways of doing things. There are so many um, different traditions, different sorts of people, different landscapes, different cultures, traditions, et cetera. Um, so I have never felt that sort of ethnocentrism, you know, that people will have when they've never traveled, but just assume that their way is clearly the best way, even though they've never really tested that. So, um, so I feel very fortunate about that. When I was in my 20s, I actually, I was in college, I dropped out of college, and I joined the Renaissance Festival, which is a a, a traveling festival here in the United States, and I believe overseas a little bit as well. I don't know if anybody listening has been to a Renaissance Festival, jousting and, uh, you know, turkey legs and the whole bit. And, uh, but these festivals will actually travel. So all the all the, um, the, the the artisans that are making the craft work, the pottery, the pewter, the whatever it may be, are actually making these things on site and traveling with them. So there's a, an entire traveling community that is happening behind the scenes of the, of the Renaissance Fair that you know. And I was part of that for about four years in my early 20s, in my van caravanning with others from place to place. And, you know, I learned how to Cast pewter through, you know, old-fashioned methods and notch wood with old, you know, uh, without modern electrical tools and all sorts of things that I don't really use nowadays. But all of these experiences, as with everything in your life and travel, just they just sift up and they come through the surface and they bubble up eventually and they come out in my writing. Uh, the book that I wrote before this latest one was called. Madame Velvet's Cabaret of Oddities, it was out in 2018, and it was really the product of years of contemplating what that experience living on the road with a traveling carnival was, and it kind of bubbled up into this book. When you read this book, there's nothing technically autobiographical about it. It's very fictional. It's very surreal and weird and absurdist. And and it's all flash fiction. So it's all very little, tiny, distilled stories like we were talking about earlier, but really kind of what happens in my artistic head um, with my really real experiences becoming artistic experiences, which is so fascinating. Um, I think it's Anais Nin who said that the artist gets to live life twice. They get to live life and then they get to relive it as they make art out of it. And I just think that that's such a beautiful uh, way of approaching this. I
1: love that. And it, and, and from the reader's point of view, we get to experience that as well. So you're reliving your life, but we get to live your life by reading your words. And I did read uh, some of Madame Velvet's Cabaret of Oddities and it, it struck a chord with me because the stories are short, but they're so compelling. They have a a beginning, a middle, and an end. Uh, it's a little compressed story right there. But I felt as I read more and more and more, which you are apt to do because they become rather addictive after a while, is that I was able to kind of create in my own head this image of who these Kind of odd people are in the way that they communicate with each other and the way that you've put out how they look. It's it's absolutely uh, spectacular.
2: Thank you so much. I think you make a really good point there. And one of the reasons that I love flash fiction is because I do think that it leaves a lot of white space for the reader to kind of come in and fill in the details. So I think in your traditional long form narrative, the, the writer will give you all the details. They'll tell you exactly what everything looks like or everything smells like. And that's sort of what we've been taught is the correct way to write. I find it really interesting to leave a lot of white space so that I give the reader what is necessary for them to make sure we're on the same page, you know, liter- literally and figuratively, but, but that they get to kind of jump those, synapses with me. I like to um, liken it a little bit to impressionism. So when we think about impressionism, um, and I talk about this again in my book going short, there's, when we step away from the painting, it looks like a big complete idea. But when we get close into it, we realize that it's a lot of little splotches with a lot of white space. And that there's something about the white space and the splotches interacting with each other that creates this vibration that allows our mind to fill in all these gaps. And I think that that's what flash fiction is doing. It's, it's giving us splotches and allowing us as the reader to come in and, and create the gaps around those. And I think it makes for an extremely compelling reading experience because it's not a passive reading experience. It's a very active experience, as you were saying. I can't read it before bed. I get too excited.
1: <laughs> well I definitely became excited. And and as you said, I was able to fill in from my own travel experiences, my own even oh, that kind of reminds me of my aunt Sadie. She would have said that. She would have done that. So I want to learn more, Nancy. I would love to learn how to uh, really become a Flash fiction writer, and I know your new book is more of a a how to book, would you say? Yes, L- tell us a little about your your retreats because i I know that you have been doing those in the past this year was a little bit of a a downtime, but fill us in on how we can become more tuned in to flash fiction?
2: Yeah. Um, well, I'll start with the retreats. So I've been doing these flash fiction retreats. I've been um, partnering with another flash fiction writer, Kathy Fish. So the book is called Going Short, an in, uh, An invitation to flash fiction. And it's really the product of about eight years of me writing, teaching, publishing, editing flash fiction. I had this idea when i realized way early on as early as 2009 or 10 i would have people coming to me and asking me for recommendations on a craft book about flash fiction and i call it a craft book as opposed to a textbook because it's not really like a textbook in the terms of like here's an exercise now do this thing but it's much more like a conversation with me um picking my brain about everything that i know about flash fiction so I had the idea for it in about 2009 when people kept asking me for recommendations and I didn't know what to recommend because all the writing books were geared towards uh, novels or short stories or poetry. There was nothing that was, uh, or uh, to my knowledge, there was nothing that was specifically geared towards flash fiction and all the nuances that flash fiction entails. So I decided about 2010 well, uh, I guess I'll write that book thinking this would be an easy thing. (laughs) And then, you know, almost 10 years later, I realized, wow, again, you don't know what you don't know until you get started. But as I evolved as a writer and teacher, the book would need to evolve. And so it just kept growing with me. And I'm really proud of how it's turned out because I really feel like it's everything that I know about uh, the teaching of it, the writing of it, the crafting of it, the editing of it putting it together into collections, and even just sort of the motivation. I talk about mythologies, as we had talked earlier, the The misnomers about flash fiction, what it isn't, how to do it well, why you should do it at all, why you should care. So I think that it's a really great introduction to flash fiction for people who have no idea what it is, but I think it's also a, a, um, a support, a friend, as we were saying, books can be friends, a friend to those who are already writing it, because I, I addressed both the beginning and the end, and as we are writers always evolving, I think that when we can return to the craft, return to the beginner's mind, As we grow in our process, it can be a lifelong evolution. So my intent is that this book is for beginners and for experts alike, and that it will really be a friend on the flash fiction shelf, so to speak. So I'm very excited about it. Uh, And it was, it's something that I will be teaching um, when we go on retreats again, which will happen when this apocalypse is over um, or at least shifts to another phase. Um, I've been doing flash fiction retreats with another flash fiction writer named Kathy Fish. She is also based in Denver. And we first had the idea when we realized that we were teaching a lot of the same students and a lot of the same things in, in our own separate workshops and decided we should collaborate. And living in Colorado seemed like a great place to have people come and travel to and work with us. So we tried out this idea of having a little writing retreat here in Colorado. It was just three days up in Breckenridge, the first one. We had about 14 people come and continued to have retreats. We had one in Costa Rica. We had one in Italy. And we had several planned for 2020 that have been postponed. Um, We had one in uh, Bordeaux, France. Uh, In June of 2020, which has now been pushed to June of 2021, we are really hoping that that will be a go. But if it has to be pushed again, it will. And then we have a very exciting one that we didn't even get to open up yet because of the pandemic. But uh, we have one planned in Iceland in 2022 in the winter. So it will be a dark, you know, going into the darkness and hopefully seeing some Northern Lights kind of retreat at the beginning of the new year in 2022. So. I just love how travel is such, uh, how travel is so tied to inspiration. And I've never traveled without being inspired. So I love being able to give that gift to people who come on retreats with us. They are inspired and they're here with us as teachers. And we can actually make something happen in that time. It's really, really amazing.
1: Well, Nancy, I can't wait to join you, especially on that Iceland one. That one sounds so awesome. So tell us how we can get more information and and look at, take a look at all that you have to offer.
2: So my website's a great starting place, uh, nancystolman.com. That's N A N C Y S. T-O-H-L-M-A-N, um, and I've got links to everything on my website. Um, we have a separate website, Kathy Fish and I do, called flashfictionretreats.com, which has just the information about the retreats. Like I said, we are we have everything suspended as of now, but, but on the books, and hopefully we'll be able to run as we planned, but certainly we'll be running as soon as travel is a little bit more safe for people. So yeah, we are we are itching. To, this has been a year of cancellation. So we know that as soon as the world open up, opens up again, people will just be thirsting for travel, for inspiration, and for getting back to their writing.
1: Well, we can't wait to join you. And, Nancy, thank you again for being on Speaking of Travel today. We can't wait to to read the book and, and find out more. Thanks so much for
2: having me. It's been a pleasure.
1: Well, from retreats to weddings to concerts, we begin to look towards the new year and hope that events around the world will take a turn for the better. In the meantime, many event organizers are on a Plan B Coming up next is Shea Brown, owner and wedding and event designer of Shea Brown Events, to share the positive signs of rebuilding. So stay tuned.
0: Are you ready to plan your next vacation or staycation to Asheville and the North Carolina Blue Ridge Mountains? Create your perfect vacation in the land of the sky with the region's most popular online travel guide. Not just for couples, RomanticAsheville.com is a 900-page online guide covering a nearly 100-mile radius around Asheville, North Carolina. Fall is here, making this the perfect time to explore all the many safe and memorable adventures found across western North Carolina. Visit RomanticAsheville.com today.
3: Fly me to the moon let me play among the stars. Let me see what spring is like on Jupiter and Mars. In other words...
1: Welcome back to Speaking of Travel. I'm your host, Marilyn Ball. In this ongoing time of great uncertainty, Speaking of Travel is listening to travel and tourism partners, along with the hospitality and events industries, to find out how they're best preparing for a new landscape as we all move forward into this new year. Everyone must consider what changes may occur and what opportunities lie within them. My guest is Shay Brown, owner and wedding and event designer of Shay Brown Events. When Shay faced a potentially devastating business downturn, it didn't stop this determined entrepreneur. Instead, she looked for a silver lining. Like many events planners, Shay has entered a new phase of recovery, and while uncertainty still remains, there are positive signs of rebuilding. And welcome to Speaking of Travel, Shay. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. So, Shay, give us an idea of how you're managing your business during this time that's just been so challenging to the industry and to the world. So, we have,
4: since March, been mandated um, up until the 1st of June to where we couldn't do really any events. And what was important to me at that time was to be able to reach to the community and support the community and help the community. And so we did that through um, starting a nonprofit, which is called Asheville Strong, and feeding those in our industry that needed help and support. And from that, as things could slowly open, we reorganized how we do events, meaning that we would do virtual events. We would do live streaming concepts. We have changed a lot of our 100 to 200 person events, move those to 2021, 2022 to do celebrations then and downsized events to be 25 to a 50 person event, much smaller, much intimate. And that is real important, I think, especially in the wedding industry, not so much in the corporate, but in the wedding industry, that was real important for us to be able to go ahead and still perform the services that everybody's wanting to have with their families, but then do the big celebrations a little bit later. And we found that really tailoring those and customizing those a little bit differently, the intimacy and the um, experience has just been amazing. We have found that that people are really excited that they were able to have something so intimate with their families instead of a, a really large celebration. So that's been our focus in the last probably Five to six months
1: and how are you looking forward to the new year you you've made some changes it seems that uh, you had such a strong foundation here especially in Western North Carolina you do so much besides weddings and and events you you've worked with a number of other organizations and How are you seeing even the collaboration of the industries coming together as we move forward into the new year?
4: So we're all very excited for 2021. We're ready for a new year. Our current mandate is still at 30% capacity for venues. And family gatherings no more than 10, which is a little tricky. The community has really reached out and we're all supporting each other. I am doing dinners for restaurants that cannot host dinners themselves because of their capacity size in a venue space that can host 400 And we could do 30% of that, which would be 100 people, but really looking at only sitting 25 at capacity levels on all the different floors. So really working together with people for that. I do think 2021, come the spring, that we will be able to be Back to normal is my hope and my goal. One of the things that we're setting forth with a couple of the festivals that I work with is looking at going ahead and producing those kind of in a smaller series of things um, to where we can really be able to focus on the quality of the event and give experiences throughout different months. So that'll be real important as we navigate 2021. And then hopefully in 2022, we will be back to 100% normalcy.
1: And when you talk about 100% normalcy, give us a little bit of a background of you and your company and what you have accomplished as an entrepreneur here in Western North Carolina, these past number of years.
4: So our sister company, Shea Brown Events Management is We manage 13 venues in the area. We do everything from nonprofit events to corporate events, weddings. That is something that we, we have grown into. We started out very small doing weddings. And then over the years, I have worked with the city and the county and different corporations, nonprofits to produce events. So my demographic for events has really changed. And Asheville is a destination area for all events. We have large corporations that come check into the growth part, you know, host their events um, and conferences there. And then they do breakouts throughout the Asheville area, you know, tours of the Biltmore, brewery tours. There's all sorts of activities that can surround a corporate event in this region that you don't get in other cities. We've got the mountains. You can go hiking. You could go kayaking. You could have a seven-course meal at one of our fine restaurants downtown. So we do have the ability to really customize any event that we do, whether it's a wedding, a corporate event, or not.
1: So moving forward, you anticipate that this model will be able to rebound? um, I do. and And you have these Plan Bs in place right now, and they seem to be they seem to be working people are adapting is that your your take That is that is
4: true we follow the mandates very closely we not only listen to what the state mandate is but also what the county and city mandates are we follow them very closely. You know, we're here to not only produce beautiful events, but also to keep people safe. And we have we have had a really great experience in that, um, that people are following the guidelines. I do think in 2021, we're going to see some of that lift. Of course, we still want to keep people safe. So I am encouraging people that want to do events 200 to 250 or bigger, larger events to to push those to 2022. And let's start planning at that time for those. We typically do anywhere from 60 to 80 events a year. And, you know, this year we've done 15 and they've been 50 person events. But I think in 2021, we're going to see some of the smaller events still take place. I think they're going to be very welcomed by the community because I think people are ready to have a little bit more normalcy in their day to day life.
1: Well, we're all very hopeful and and ready as you said. So Shay, how can somebody get more information about you and and your business and everything that you have coming up? You could go to our website, which is
4: SheaBrownEvents.com. And um, you could go, if you would like to see any of the venues that we manage, uh, you could go to SBEManagementGroup.com. We have um, updates on that. We have our blog. You can also follow us on Facebook and Instagram and see things that we're currently doing. Another site I would direct you to during this time for anybody that needs support or help or that is looking to contribute, I mean, there may be people out there that is like we we would really like to help the community, is to go to AshevilleStrong.com. And there is always updates on projects that we're working on, how many people in the community we're feeding. We're currently feeding about 1,500 meals a week. And, you know, we hope to grow that. And we're partnering with the restaurants um, and the farmers, which is great because we're not only feeding the community, but we're keeping those people employed. And that is what's really important. So I would, you know, highly suggest you check out that as well. Well, for Chef, more information.
1: Absolutely. Well, we're definitely going to check that out. And and what a nice pay it forward to go and contribute to keep our community active and alive. Well, thank you so much, Shay, for being here today. On speaking of travel, and definitely would like to keep up with you as we go into the new year. And and again, I I like to thank the partners who come on each week who are partners with RomanticAsheville.com. It's as you know more than anybody how important it is to. Uh, to stay connected, to be partners and for everybody to work together.
4: Yes. And we're here to support anyone. And if anybody has any questions about anything, Don't hesitate to reach out.
1: Well, thank you, Shay. It's really a pleasure to uh, to have you here. Coming up next is Tina Kinsey of the Asheville Regional Airport to share how she and her industry colleagues have been working diligently to keep our tourism partners and potential visitors informed of important changes in the aviation industry. Stay tuned.
2: The best way to feel the love is to share it. That's why Subaru created the Subaru Share the Love event. Over the
3: last 12 years, Subaru has donated over $200 million to charity. This year, we're continuing the tradition. Right now, when you get a new Subaru, Subaru will donate $250 to your choice
2: of charity partners, the ASPCA, Make-A-Wish, Meals on Wheels, or the National Park Foundation. This year, Prestige Subaru welcomes Homeward Bound WNC and the Asheville Humane Society as our hometown charity partners. The Subaru Share the Love event, now through January 4th at Prestige Subaru. Welcome to Subiville
3: fly me to the moon let me play among the stars and let me see what spring is like on jupiter and mars in other words
1: welcome back to speaking of travel i'm your host marilyn ball I think all of us travel lovers could really agree if we had known what we know now at the beginning of this year and the way events have unfolded, we would not have believed it. We've all had to learn how to navigate new traveler expectations and ever-changing guidelines. Our freedom of travel has indeed presented significant challenges. The aviation industry, however, has always had to weather crises, and it's demonstrated a long-term resilience and is an indispensable means of transportation. Aviation is one of the most global industries to connect people and businesses across the world, and it's one of the most collaborative industries because of the necessities for all the stakeholders and partners to work together to maximize the benefits of air transport. Joining me now is Tina Kinsey, Director of Marketing, PR, and Air Service Development at the Asheville Regional Airport. And her industry colleagues have all been working diligently to help keep our tourism partners and potential visitors informed. And she's here with us today to explain a little bit about how they all work together for the good of the industry and their customers. Tina, welcome to Speaking of Travel. Thank you. It's great to be here, Marilyn. Well, Tina, I know that we all are looking forward to traveling again. We want to envision ourselves being at the airports. But one thing that has always struck me, and we've talked about this a little bit, is the collaborative efforts that you have with your industry partners to keep the airports vibrant and and alive during this time of crisis. Give us a little bit of an idea of how you all work together.
5: So airports, if you think about it, there aren't that many airports in each state in the United States, um, but there are a handful. So for instance, in North Carolina, there are 10 commercial service airports, and then quite a few over 60 additional smaller general aviation airports, etc. But let's talk about commercial service airports. I know my counterpart. Uh, you know, the people who handle marketing and public relations and air service work at just about every commercial airport across the country. We stay connected, and, you know, other people in the industry, the executive directors, the operations director, public safety leaders, they're all connected with one another as well. And that's something that a lot of people don't realize. Uh, it's a very collaborative industry. We thrive on sharing information with each other and really working hard to make sure that airports operate efficiently and on behalf of passengers in the best ways possible no matter what it is that we're facing prior to covid you know a, a good example would be if a uh, hurricane season came and really impacted some coastal airports We have team members who are on the ready to provide mutual aid because we understand the airport industry and the needs and how we need to help an airport get back to being operational. So fast forward to COVID and we are navigating and learning what are the best practices? What should we be doing to maintain the best environment for our employees, our tenants, our passengers?
1: And we do that together. It's so refreshing to hear that because you know obviously aviation is such an important part of our infrastructure nationally and globally and to know that the industry itself is so collaborative and works together and and everybody is kind of keeping in in touch and in tune with a standard that to me is the most important part is that you have this bar it's raised very high And everybody can kind of bounce off of each other instead of having to uh, reinvent the wheel.
5: That's right. And we're also uh, very fortunate because we have several membership professional organizations that are hugely supportive and impactful to the industry. Uh, There is excellent, high quality research that is being done all the time to address various challenges and issues as we continue to grow and evolve the airport experience and environment. And that is another way that we all connect with one another at a high collective level.
1: Well, I know that there are people thinking you're talking about the industry, you're talking about the aviation industry, but then some people you know, there's also the airline industry. And and of course, everything is interconnected. Aviation, airline, airports, the the A's, they all seem to be connected. But Tina, how would you describe the aviation industry and the airline industry because they seem so interchangeable?
5: Well, we're definitely connected. We have a a lot of synergy with the relationship that we have with one another. Airlines can't operate without airports. Airports don't exist without airlines, you know, the commercial service airports. And so we really do have to have solid lines of communication. We do have to work together. We have to listen um, to the challenges that the airlines may face. They have to listen to the challenges that the airports may face uh, because they are too Two different entities operated very differently. The ownership structures are very different. Um, you know, airlines are private, for-profit entities. Airports are often and most often uh, public entities. So, you know, that that in and of itself, you have different challenges. But it works. You know, we are able to, to really come to the table and keep communication lines open and work together for everyone's success.
1: Well, it, it is definitely uh, so refreshing to hear how everybody is working together, especially during this, this time where the airports are even more essential than ever before getting people where they need to be shipping. You know, that's another part of it is people forget that airlines are not just taking customers in their seats, they are also transporting goods across states, across the nation, across the world.
5: That's right. I mean, there's a reason that airports and the workers at airports, we are part of the nation's critical infrastructure. Without this transportation modality, can you imagine what what would happen even globally? There is so much interconnectedness that so many people and industries are reliant upon, and you know it's um, it's important work. We we it's not all about taking people to their vacation, although that's a fun part of it. But it's it's complex and important, and you know we're just glad to see that that everyone involved in both sides of the industry are working so so hard to navigate this awful year in responsible ways, uh, you know, just really focusing on what do we need to do to make sure this critical service is provided as safely as possible.
1: Well, Tina, I, I so appreciate you taking your time every week to to sit down and talk with me about Uh, What's happening at the airport? You know, back in March, when we first started talking, I thought, well, you know, we'll we'll talk every once a month and get an update. What could we possibly have to talk about every week at the airport? And yet here we are all these months later. And I've come to realize that there is so much. Uh, like you said, it's very complex, and I feel that just as as part of the public who who does travel and flies here and there, we get on we get to the airport. We're so wrapped up in our our own thing, we don't think about what's really happening to ensure that we're safe and and healthy. So shout out to you and and your industry partners and tell us how we can get more information about the Asheville Regional Airport, Tina.
5: Sure. So you can visit our website at flyavl.com and you can connect with us in so many different ways. And Marilyn, if I may, uh, another great website that speaks to kind of what you're talking about today, and that is how interconnected all of the airports are, there's actually a website that is a collective effort, um, and it's called Ready for Every Journey. So Google Ready for Every Journey, and you can see how all airports across North America are really working to make things as healthy and safe as possible.
1: Well, we will definitely check that out. And Tina, again, thank you so much for taking your time and being on Speaking of Travel, and we'll look forward to talking to you again and getting an update on everything that's going on 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 your call. Great.
5: Thanks so much, Marilyn.
1: Well, thanks, Tina, and thanks to Nancy and Shay for joining us today on Speaking of Travel. As we near the beginning of the new year, I think we have some good grounds to be optimistic about traveling again, and we're going to keep talking about travel until the cows come home because it gives us hope. And hope is what we have. There have been some amazing advances in 2020 in aviation, in science, technology, and in basic human care and kindness. So as we look to the birth of 2021, let's embrace and nurture and cultivate all the good that has come from this very unique year 2021 will usher in a new era of responsible travelers and players across the industry will work harder to regain our trust and show that traveling is safe. I think in the long haul, travel will rebound and provide more protection to travelers. And as the world slowly changes, we'll begin to see borders begin to open up and people traveling again. It'll be different from how it was, but the new practices will be safe and sustainable. Let's never lose hope. Dream big. Make plans to travel somewhere. Because remember, life is short. Don't postpone joy.